0: welcome to PCB Chat, where we speak with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Butow, Editor-in-Chief of PCDNF and Circuits Assembly. This episode of PCB Chat is brought to you by PCB East, the electronic supply chain event for the East Coast. PCB East trains designers, engineers, fabricators, and assemblers on making printed circuit boards for every product use imaginable. The 2022 show features a three-day technical conference and one-day exhibition. From high reliability military and aerospace to cutting-edge IoT and wearables, there's something for everyone involved in the electronic supply chain. Coming next April to the Boston suburbs. Learn more about PCB East at pcbeast.com. Conductive adhesives have been touted for decades as a potential replacement for solder, and that's the focus of today's podcast. Our guest, Matthew Dyson, is a senior technology analyst at ID TechX, specializing in printed, organic and flexible electronics. He has a master's and a doctorate in physics from the Imperial College in London, specializing in plastic and organic electronics. Prior to coming to ID TechX, he was a researcher at the Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands. Matt, welcome to PCB Chat. Thanks very much for having me uh, on the podcast. I want to talk about the study ID TechX released last week called Electrically Conductive Adhesives 2022-2032, to Technologies, Markets, and Forecasts. But first, and that's what we call a tease, <laughs> first let's talk about a bit about your background. Your biography lists your credentials in plastic electronics. What exactly does that mean? So, plastic electronics is quite a broad
1: term for any kind of electronics that aren't made with the conventional inorganic uh, semiconductors, you know, things like silicon primarily. Uh, so instead, you're looking at uh, materials very much like those that you might find in an OLED display, for example. So I was looking at how some of those materials behave and, and how they could be used in different applications such as photo detectors, solar panels uh, and OLEDs. Obviously, you know, it's a PhD, so you're looking at something quite detailed, but that, that's the kind of broad field. And that, of course, fits in a bit more widely with the idea of flexible electronics, which, which is the, the topic that I cover now at IDTechX which is this, is this idea that you can move electronics away from something rigid that you have on a PCB you know this is a rectangle uh, where all the components are mounted to a, to a, a world where the electronics are either on a flexible substrate and thus they might even be stretchable or in fact kind of actually embedded into the sort of structural uh, aspects of your device itself so rather than when you take your phone apart there's a separate PCB in there maybe in the future all the electronics will be a kind of fundamentally integrated into that structure, rather than being a separate
0: component. So, so that's fascinating. Uh, if I, if you have a moment, could you just talk a little bit about what your uh, thesis was on? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, my, my my thesis
1: originally was on. Um processing structure property relationships, which basically means how do the properties of these organic semiconductors, so these are kind of equivalents to, you know, semiconductors like silicon, but made out of predominantly carbon based, and how do their sort of optical and electronic properties uh, alter depending on how you've processed them. So this is really important for, for sort of industrial manufacturing and scaling up these processes, because if, for example, Uh, you're, you know, putting these out down with a different solvent or the solvents evaporating at a different rate, then you can end up with some quite significantly different properties. And if you're using this in a solar panel or a display, then you'd you'd end up with, you know, lower efficiency uh, conversion of light into electricity, or, you know, a less good quality display or whatever it is. And so getting into the kind of fundamentals of how the processing conditions affects the uh, formation, the packing of these polymer chains, and hence how that affects the optical and electronic properties, is ulti- ultimately quite important. At the moment, OLED displays are uh, almost entirely, quite exclusively, but pretty much made by evaporating these, these kind of fairly complex semiconducting organic molecules. And that's quite an expensive process. But, uh, you know, over time, the kind of aspiration would be to move uh, towards a situation where these conductive polymers or semiconducting plastics, pretty much the same thing, can be printed like inkjet printing. And that would obviously bring kind of significant cost savings. So that that was the kind of, you know, con- context of the work, really.
0: I see. So thanks. Great. With that as a lead-in, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the electrically conductive adhesives, or what we'll just say, ECAs. So tin lead and lead-free solder alloys are a bit of a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, you know, they generally wet well. Mm -hmm. They offer robust mechanical strength and conductivity. Uh, They are often the least expensive method of component attachment. And we seem to know all the quirks of reflowing them. Yeah. But (laughs) they aren't environmentally friendly in today's context. Uh, Lead-free alloys often require reflow temperatures that risk damage to more sensitive components. And they aren't readily applicable for some substrate materials like PET. Mm -hmm. Per your research then, ECAs have an opening to gain some market share in certain applications. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so, well, the first thing I'd say is that ECAs are not a, are not a completely new technology. You know, they're already kind of widely used sort of in the display industry and, and in quite a, quite a few other places. But I think you know where they where they sort of really shine is in the fact that you can mount you can use them uh, at lower at significantly lower temperatures, and you don't need to go through this whole reflow process that you do with solder. And so you can imagine an ECA is pretty much a kind of conductive glue, and, and there are two types, which I, I think we'll probably come on to. But it allows you to kind of directly place that component and then apply you know, a small amount of a relatively small amount of heat to cure it. And then that component, you know, be it an LED, a resistor, a capacitor, is then kind of immediately secured, rather than having to go through this whole reflow process. Of course, the ECAs are more expensive than solder, which is a downside. And they also don't come with the kind of self alignment benefits that you'd get with solder. And so that can make using them, you know, a little bit more time consuming or expensive, because, you know, the components won't kind of get dragged into place in the same way that they would with solder. Uh, But they do have a lot of applications, a lot of applications, particularly as we move towards these kind of flexible, embedded, electronic kind of uh, approach, where the kind of conventional reflow methods and and materials that you'd use, such as, you know, an FR, conventional green, FR4 substrate, uh, don't really apply anymore.
0: So you mentioned two types of conductive adhesives. I'm assuming you're talking about isotropic and and anisotropic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so isotropic adhesives are are really just like conductive glue. Ultimately, you've got a a sort of loading of, generally speaking, silver particles, but certainly some kind of conductive species within some kind of epoxy. Uh, And there's a sufficiently high loading that there's a conductive pathway between all of those um, uh, conductive, you know, embedded conductive particles. And you can just use them to stick your components on. Of course, the challenge with that is that if you want to you know, attach uh, very small contact areas or you know achieve quite fine pitches, then you're going to need to be dispensing this uh, isotropically conductive adhesive incredibly precisely. And that can be quite difficult and or expensive. And so that's where these anisotropic conductive adhesives come in. And so as the name suggests, they only enable uh, electrical and also thermal conductivity in one direction and there's a few different technologies there but the the main one at uh, present is where you have a much lower loading of conductive particles and then by squeezing your component uh, you know your resistor or whatever onto the top then you en- you end up kind of trapping this conductive particle between uh, the the conductive trace that you're trying to attach it to and the conductive pad on the component and it's only in that vertical plane that the conductivity occurs And so that makes um, the sort of resolution requirements for placing the components significantly less challenging because some of that sort of pitch capability is coming from the material itself.
0: Matt, could you talk a little bit about what some of the new technical innovations are in the ECA space?
1: So, I think the most interesting one is this uh, development of what I'd term field aligned conductive adhesives. And so, the basic idea here is, that, here is that rather than achieving anisotropy by essentially trapping an embedded conductive particle by applying the component with heat and pressure, uh, you can instead align the conductive particles within the anisotropic conductive adhesive in advance by applying either an electric or a magnetic field. And there's a few different approaches here. But the basic idea is that by applying a field, the particles uh, will line up uh, along the, those field lines in a kind of similar way to kind of iron filings on a piece of paper. And as a result, uh, the anisotropy isotropy is already there when you come to mount uh, your component. And that means that you can achieve both finer pictures and you don't need to apply so much heat and pressure when mounting the component which, of course, makes it faster and means that you can use you know, more thermally fragile or even physically fragile components.
0: Did your study, I know that it looked at the different applications that, uh, you know, hold potential for ECAs, but did it also look at different types of components specifically insofar as which ones might be more likely to be, uh, you'd be more likely to use ECAs for? Um, for example, you know you mentioned resistors and capacitors, but I mean, could you see things like BGAs and things like that actually?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think, you know, you, you can certainly use them, you know, across a whole range of components, including um BGAs and, and you know other microprocessors and so on. But I think that, you know, the ACAs kind of come into their own with the you know, when you get to the small the fine pitch components, the, as this kind of resolution gets smaller and smaller, then it becomes increasingly desirable to not have those kind of constraints around exactly how is it positioned and have I managed to deposit sufficiently small amounts of adhesive. But, you know, can I just put my component on and then the, 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 con- the conductivity will be entirely vertical? Uh, and, that you know, there are some approaches now, particularly with these anisotropic conductive films, where, you know, you can get down to the kind of tens of microns, you know, which, which was certainly quite challenging to achieve uh, with, with ICAs, for example.
0: In the mid-1990s, I actually worked on the IPC standard for electrically conductive adhesives. And so obviously, you know, they have been around for a while. What's really changed that gives you reason to believe there's more, po- more potential for market penetration today?
1: I think that that sort of comes down to these, these trends that I've been talking about, that you know, people are increasingly looking at electronics not as something that kind of comes as a sort of rigid component from China or Taiwan or wherever, but as something that is kind of incorporated in the device during the manufacturing process. And that means, as I said, that you know, this sort of conventional mass production of of um, PCBs is is no longer applicable if you move towards that kind of embedded uh, or or flexible. Um, devices, you're going to need different techniques, and that's not to say that regular PCB production is going to disappear by any stretch. I'd be a very, I imagine the motherboard on your laptop will be a conventional PCB for a very long time, and probably very cheap, kind of you know, relatively commoditized circuits for kind of fairly low-cost household appliances probably will as well. But there's a whole space sort of in between those, um, such as uh, you know, making sort of HMI, so human machine interfaces. Uh, center consoles in vehicles, where obviously in aircraft, where obviously trying to reduce weight is really important. Uh, even just for consumer consumer devices, rather than having to design your kind of consumer product about right, well, I have to fit this rigid PCB in there somewhere, and that then determines the design of your phone or your headphones or your calculator or whatever it is. There's got to be a PCB in there somewhere. Once you accept the idea that you can put your electronics wherever you like, then all of a sudden there's a lot more freedom uh, of form factors. And then, of course, there's all the applications for, for um, flexible electronics, you know, particularly in the kind of wearable healthcare wellness type space that we're seeing a lot of interest in IDTechX. Um, and so this would be for things like continuous health monitoring, uh, where you could attach a skin patch, say, that would monitor, for example, your heart rate, your temperature, also things like your ECG, it'd be able to do that significantly more precisely than just a smartwatch and could probably monitor a wider array of things, and that would incorporate um, an antenna and some kind of digital processing to uh, interpret that data and then send it it back to the cloud. And you you could imagine having multiple ones of these to enable a pretty advanced kind of ECG of the type that you might normally have to have in hospital. So there's a lot of interest in wearables in wearable skin patches. And again, at the moment, those have, you know, there's not that many of them. And those that do exist have a little plastic box with a little PCB in it, which makes it significantly less comfortable to wear. Once those electronics can be mounted onto a flexible, potentially even stretchable substrate, you know, it becomes way more compelling because you've now got something that's conformal, much lighter, much smaller, doesn't have a plastic box on top. And you can imagine um, integrating electronics into your clothing, you know, with for sort of similar means. So you know, have antennas in there for, for sort of monitoring your health or your sort of sporting performance or whatever. You could have the sent, you know, the electronics also providing heating, and you know, obviously that would need the control circuitry. Um, but you don't necessarily want to have a whole PCB in your jacket. So there's all of these applications for both flexible and kind of embedded electronics.
0: Your response just now reminded me of some things I've been reading about, about electronic skin or electronic patches almost. Um, you know, have you run across that at all?
1: Yeah, so, so you could, well, I, the way I see it is that sort of electronic skin is a kind of next step from a skin patch. So, you know, at the moment, if you wanted to, to have some kind of electrical monitoring as a skin patch, as I say, you'll have some kind of sticky electrode and then there might be a little bit of conductive ink used in the wiring. And then you'll have a PCB in a little plastic box that be a matchbox, maybe a bit smaller, that sits on top. Uh, the next step is to mount all of that electronics directly onto the flexible or slightly stretchable substrate. So that would often be termed flexible hybrid electronics, and that you're mounting some of these ICs, you know, which which are you know that little piece of silicon may or may not be rigid. There are some a couple of examples of people developing some flexible but still inorganic ICs, but you know that would be a kind of intermediate case. And then what, what you're mentioning with this electronic skin, I think I've also Heard it referred to as epidermal electronics and so this is the idea where you've got something that's much more akin to the kind of children's tattoo one of those kind of transfers that children sometimes get on holiday um but it's all electronics and the, there's some great work there from i think Zen and Bao at stanford who you know there's like a little lcd display or not probably not an lcd some kind of oled display um, you know, that has been put onto someone's hand. I think there's a little pressure sensor where you can, you know, it's completely conformal to the skin. It just looks like a kind of transfer, like a children's tattoo. Um, and then they can monitor uh, the pressure being applied as a little ladybird walks around uh, on that sensor with something that is completely conformal. But I think in terms of commercialization, those kind of sort of skin electronics are quite a long way off. The sort of intermediate stage of these skin patches you know, you can certainly see becoming much more widespread, you know, over the next five, 10 years or so, possibly even sooner.
0: Now, are those uh, some areas that, uh, you know, you get into in your, uh, in the study that was just published? So, we, so in the in the study that was just published on ECAs, we
1: certainly look at a kind of wide array of applications uh, that these that the ECAs um, can be used in. You know, or, you know the, the basic kind of structure of the report is that you know we obviously describe the technology uh, in terms of these materials, and we look at some of the kind of technical innovations here, such as these field-aligned adhesives, and then we look at a whole range of applications where they could be used. So, you know, things like the in-mold electronics and the you know for sort of automotive um hmi interfaces and the skin patches that you've mentioned um but we also have separate reports on say wearable electro uh, flexible electronics in healthcare or you know electronic skin patches a wide wide range of things that are kind of you know that will look at all of the relevant technologies and prototypes and things in it for a particular use case rather than you know just focus on one of the materials
0: i see So I know a lot of work goes into your forecasts, and these are for sale, of course, so Mm -hmm. there's only so much you can share. Um, That said, is your forecast for ECAs generally optimistic over the next 10 years? And if so, you know, will that be at the the expense of solder? Because it sounds like you've described a lot of new and emerging applications that offer opportunities that simply weren't around in the past for solder to take hold in.
1: Yeah, I think that's true, and I think I think most of the growth probably will be coming from these emerg- these emerging applications. I'm certainly not sitting here going, "Oh, this is going to completely replace solder." I, I don't think that's the case at all. What I do think is that there are emerging applications where solder isn't particularly applicable, although and, and versus those new applications grow, that will present a, a substantial opportunity for these the different types of electronically conductive adhesives, or sorry, electrically conductive adhesives, but. I would say as well that the sort of solder industry is also kind of progressing, and there are other innovations such as low temperature sol- or ultra low temperature solder, either by choosing a different alloy. Or there's a rather nice example of a, an, a US, an early stage US firm that can kind of encapsulate liquid, uh, supercooled liquid solder, and little nano nanospheres, and then those kind of burst during manufacturing, which enables solder to be used, you know, on these thermally fragile substrates uh, such as PET which will be needed for low cost electronics. There's also another application that I haven't really mentioned that I think is beginning to kind of gather quite a lot of momentum after quite a few years of not doing so, which uh, is smart packaging. And so you might think of so be will be aware of RFID tags, as you know, you get them on kind of clothes, clothing labels, and those all utilize electrically conductive adhesives because they all have a little, a tiny little, very low costs, very simple silicon chip that you know provides a, a bit of identification for that specific item. Um, but as smart packaging becomes uh, more common, it won't just be about identification; it will also be about sensing parameters over time, things like temperature, movement, those kind of things, and then you know, ultimately feeding that information back to the cloud via an antenna so that companies can track their products throughout the supply chain and potentially even into your house. Those devices are going to need to be produced in very, very high volumes. And so in order to achieve that, you need to run your equipment at very, very high speeds. You're only mounting a very simple, single little chip. And hence, using electrically conductive adhesive there is the way to go because you don't need to do the whole reflow cycle. If you imagine that, you know, all the clothes have, some kind of label on it or you know food packaging all has packaging pharmaceuticals all have little computer chips in them but they only need one and it's a pretty simple circuit Uh, and certainly one of the significant players here uh, has just received a a fairly big investment from SoftBank and so these are the kind of things that, that you know I'd also discussed in the report these kind of emerging applications certainly the potential for smart packaging is huge but people have been saying that for a while However, it does seem like there's a kind of another round of interest. There's another kind of recent sort of chunk of investment going into it. And some of the technologies such as uh, flexible ICs are also really promising uh, in this field and and can potentially lower the cost.
0: I I came across ID TechX years ago when it was uh, working in the area of printed electronics. You know, we've talked about ECAs today, but what are some of the other areas the organization is involved in?
1: Yeah, so we, we cover a, a really broad range of emerging technologies. Um, you know, personally, I'm kind of responsible for our kind of printed electronics portfolio, which would include things that I've mentioned, um, such as uh, electronic skin patches, smart packaging, uh, flexible electronics for healthcare, flexible electronics applications printed flexible electronic applications in cars, in mold electronics, sensors, displays, all kinds of things. But of course, you know, that's a small portion of the of the company's total portfolio uh, so we, we also look at a wide range of advanced materials things like uh, applications for carbon nanotubes and graphene to give two examples uh, we look a lot uh, at electric vehicles obviously that's a huge area of interest at the moment with the whole kind of uh, you know transition uh, from away from internal combustion engines and so that looks at all of the kind of associated technologies there you know looking into the batteries, thermal management, power electronics, uh, you know, and the markets themselves. Uh, we also do quite a lot on, on 5G. And, and again, you know, not, we're not looking at kind of how many phones are people buying. We're looking at, you know, how, how are these chips being designed? How is heat being managed in these devices? Yeah, what kind of materials are being used? Those kind of sort of more fundamental questions and, and you know, what's required for, for 5G and so we, we we look at sensing so lidar and other types of image sensing and then at some more sort of early stage topics things like metamaterials which you know at the moment the kind of mark there isn't a significant market for them but over time you know we see that as as a pretty exciting technology that will that will be required as as communications you know get to higher and higher frequencies they're going to need need managing and steering around so whilst we don't cover every emerging technology, we, we cover a pretty broad, broad selection. I think there's over 150 reports that are available. So if you're interested in finding out any more, do look us up online. And what would that website be? So the, web, the website is idtickx.com.
0: Easy. Last question. How big of a range of the of supply chain companies do you interview as part of your
1: research? We try and span kind of as much of the value chain as possible. That would basically include the the manufacturers of the of the, the material suppliers, and then you know right through to you know startups trying to you know use those materials to make un, unusual things, up to the kind of sort of um, tier one, tier two type suppliers, and then you know ideally talk talk to the OEMs as well. That's certainly the aim. Obviously, it's easier to talk to some people than others, but we, we you know most reports would be you know based on at least 20 or so interviews so some of them you know, it depends a little bit on the topic obviously but some of those w- would be many more than that uh, and, and you know the, these interviews are kind of occurring all the time so you know i interviewed two companies yesterday one of which is developing printed sensors the other one of which is developing a new type of uh, silver nanowire
0: great well thank you matt um the website is idtechx.com and our guest today has been dr matt dyson of idtechx Let's see where conductive adhesives go in the next few years. Thank you very much. This episode of PCB Chat has been brought to you by PCB East, the electronic supply chain event for the East Coast. Learn more about PCB East at pcbeast.com. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day.